You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose podcast. We're currently in the book of Philippians. For more sermons and content, go to sojournmontrose.com. Good morning. Welcome to Sojourn. For those of you that uh, don't know me, my name is Marshall. I'm the pastor here. It's my joy and honor to be with you this morning. Uh, today is officially our, our one-year birthday, so uh, yeah. Yeah, that's something to be excited about. We definitely are. Um, if, if you're a guest, let me just say welcome to you. That should give you sort of some context as to, as to how long we've been around and kind of what, what the makeup of this church is. And so we're, we're still fairly young, still kind of figuring out what all this looks like. With that said, we're in the middle of a sermon series uh, through the book of Philippians, and we're really just endeavoring to, to journey through that um, at, at sort of a slow pace, but we, we do sort of bump into Christmas coming up soon. So... Um, what we've titled this, which is just crazy to think about, sorry, had a moment there where like he, he mentioned that it was the last covenant membership class of this year. And then just to think through all of that is kind of kind of weird. Just know that I'm in a, a strange place right now, just personally, knowing that, that uh, we've been here for a year and that, that God has been gracious in all this, you know, um, just to be sort of vulnerable for a second. When, when anyone sets out on a journey like this, like whether you're a part of, uh, of the core team of a new church plan or whether you're the pastor or whatever it is, like no matter what capacity you play um, in, in the beginning of something like this, you always kind of wonder like, is this, gonna, is this gonna end up really bad, you know? Um, and by God's grace, it hasn't, like truly. Um, and in spite, of, in spite of my weaknesses and in spite of the many weaknesses of the people that make up this church, the Lord has been faithful. And so... Um, just kind of holding on to that this morning. Um, we are, uh, like I said, in, in the sermon series entitled Life in a New City. And really what, what we're endeavoring to do is gain from the, this, this letter that Paul has written to the Philippians, um, what, what it is that, that Paul would have for really the church, any church. I mean, he's, he's, he's certainly writing to a specific church at this point in time, but, but what makes this letter unique is that he's not necessarily writing to put out any fires, like so much of his writing throughout, throughout the New Testament is like, don't do this, do do this. this is, these are some things that I hear are happening in your midst and, and th- they really shouldn't be. This is what the gospel really tells us or really shows us. And really what, what's happening here in Philippians is just Paul going like, look, continue in the manner in which, in which you have gone so far, right? So this is kind of a, a good picture of, of what Paul, I guess, would deem a, a functioning, healthy church at this point in time. Now, just to give us some context, especially as we move into this particular portion of Scripture today, know that Paul is writing to this, to this church at Philippi, which really is, is a, a fairly ragtag group of people, like um, that, that typically wouldn't be sort of found together in, in any sort of normal social situation. You've got the richest of the rich and the, and the poorest of the poor all brought together by the gospel, through the gospel, for the gospel, um, and they are in a context where really things are getting more and more uncomfortable for them, meaning that, that what they believe is becoming more and more marginalized, what they believe is becoming more and more sort of at odds with um, the culture that surrounds them, and so Paul is writing to strengthen and to encourage them in that. And so I, I really believe, and, I, and look, I don't want to be sort of uh, that, that guy that lives in sort of perpetual fear or falls into sort of this, this pattern of, of making things bigger deals than they are. But the truth is, the truth is that we find ourselves very, very much in the same position in that just sort of the, the, the general direction of our culture is, is away from sort of that Protestant veneer of the 50s to a, a sort of a new enlightenment, whatever you want to call it. Right? And so, so we are more and more daily at odds with 
the culture around us. And yet Paul is going to give us what I, what I hope are some incredibly hopeful words, some incredibly inspiring words, um, and, and really, I think, outlines the, the way forward for us, right? So I think it's incredibly appropriate that, to, that and, and I didn't plan it this way, so I'm not that smart, so I didn't plan it this way, but like, I just think that this is the perfect, the, the perfect portion of text for us to look at and say, this is what we want Sojourn to be characterized for the next 5, 10, 20, Lord willing, however many years, be, beyond my grave would be awesome. So uh, let me pray and we'll get started. Father God, we uh, thank you so much for this morning, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together. Lord, I thank you that you've given us a year of doing these things. Um, it's, it's incredible, um, God, that you would um, allow us to be drawn into what it is that you're doing. Lord, your story about your glory, about your fame, and Lord, that you would allow us to, to be reconciled into that. Lord, to be bought by the precious blood of Jesus. I pray, Father, um, that this church would, would always be known for um, preaching the good news of the gospel. And Father, that we would be recognized as a people who humbly know, love, and serve one another deeply um, out of the truth of the gospel. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Cool. So last week, uh, I need to do a little bit of recap from last week because so much of what Paul is writing here is, is born out of that text. And so uh, the three points, just really quickly, that we talked about last week was that that uh, this gospel that, that we have been called to be a part of, that, that Paul is writing about to the Philippians and now, and now us, is a gospel that is advancing, right? In, in spite of whatever sort of the, the circumstances might look like, no matter how bleak it may look for the gospel, the fact of the matter is that the gospel is advancing at all times, right? And then the second thing that we saw was that this gospel is advancing and is by nature also hope-filled. Not only hope-filled in that it is advancing, but hope-filled in that we know the outcome, in that Jesus has promised to complete the good work which he began in us, right? That, that he will have that people for his own possession, that he will have that, that royal priesthood, that holy nation, right? That, there, that there's a party that's bigger than the party that we'll have tonight because it will celebrate thousands of years of God's faithfulness to his people, and that we're invited to that party by the blood of Jesus, right? And then we saw that really finally, that that, that that gospel that is advancing and that is hope-filled is also what unites us at our core, right? That no matter, no matter how different the person sitting next to you is, in whatever different way, that, that if we have called upon the name of Jesus, that we have that which is most important in common. This is, what, this is what Paul is telling them to strive for, right? At the conclusion of chapter one, it says, He wants to hear that they are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened in anything, right? And so this follows as a a direct continuation from that, in that he's saying, look, I want to hear that you are standing firm. I want to hear that you are striving side by side for the sake of the gospel. This is what that looks like. Right, so last, last week we just kind of heard like, hey, this is, this is sort of broad generally what, what, what this should look like. This is who we should be. But this is where we really get into, okay, here's what, what it's going to take for you and I to put the, sort of put the rubber to the road and actually, and actually make this thing happen, like actually live this thing out, follow Jesus in what he's called us to do and be for the sake of the world around us. Right, and so this is, this is what he says in verse one. So if there is 
any encouragement in Christ, right? He's being super rhetorical here, right? So he's not saying if there's encouragement in Christ, we already know there's encouragement in Christ, right? That's what we got. The whole, the whole first chapter is just encouragement in Christ. Like God is doing things. The gospel is advancing. There's hope in the gospel. The gospel unites you. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So, uh, this, I mean, this is where it gets difficult, right? Like, just think for two seconds, have you ever been in a room where you've been of the same mind with any one person? <laughs> Most likely not. It doesn't matter if it's Thanksgiving, Christmas, like whatever. Uh, it doesn't matter where you end up, like a college classroom. There's always someone in that room that like, you're just, we're just not on the same level, man. You know what I'm saying? And so what we have to ask ourselves here is, is what is it really that, that Paul is, is driving at? Because look, we, we saw last week that, that there is both a, a wealthy sort of fashion industry owner, there's a slave girl, there's a blue-collar jailer. I'm just saying, like, in general, they're probably not on the same page in all things, right? Like, they probably got different views about maybe the way some scriptures are interpreted. They probably got some different views as to um, what the political landscape should or could look like, Right? They've probably got different views as to how one should or could spend your money. And yet, and yet Paul is, is saying not only that, that they should be of one mind, that they are actually able to do so. Right? And we're going to see or investigate why that is here lately. But so let's, let's just kind of define what this being of, of the same mind really is. Right? And, so, and in order to do that, I think we should first just look at what it isn't. Right? So being of the same mind doesn't mean that uh, you're, you're in a place where um, there's sort of a hostility to new ideas. Right? So for sojourn to be of one mind, it doesn't mean that like, there are no new thoughts allowed in. Right? It also doesn't mean that there's complete doctrinal conformity. Right? Like there's, probably, there's probably some differences in journey. Right? Like we talked about Lydia last week. She's a, she's a wealthy uh, woman, she's, she's studied the scriptures. In fact, it, it, it tells us that Paul actually encountered her while she was in sort of a, a prayer gathering or a Bible study, right? She probably knows a little bit more about the Bible or about the scriptures than the slave girl who was demon-possessed last week, right? Like there's just a, there's just a difference. And so uh, it doesn't mean complete doctrinal conformity. Now, some is necessary in the sense that like we do have to agree that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through him, right? We do have to believe that, that he went to the cross on our behalf. We do have to believe that he rose in victory over sin and death because if he's still dead, I don't know, I don't know what hope I have then, right? We do have to agree on some of those things, and yet what he's talking about when he's talking about being of the same mind is not a complete doctrinal conformity. So let me just, I'm, I'm putting this into some, some very, uh, I guess, tangible things because I think these are things that you'll encounter at Sojourn, whether you like, have been here for a while or whether you will, um, are sort of investigating whether or not this is the place that you think you'll, you'll hang out, right? So, so we're committed to, to certain different things, like, like a reformed view of, of soteriology or salvation, Right? Like we, believe that, uh, uh, we believe that God is the, the primary agent in the work of our salvation, right? That, that we were actually unable to choose him. And that God said, look, no, I'm going to regenerate your heart through the spirit. 
and I'm going to give you new life. I'm going to give you the ability to respond favorably to the grace that I've extended you, right? So we, we look at Ephesians chapter two and we say, by grace, through faith, you've been saved. And we recognize that the grace and the faith are the gift, right? And so little, I, like that's, that's a big deal. And yet there are people that don't believe that, that I, I honestly believe we're on the same team. Right? I think we can be of the same mind with people as long as, again, the gospel of Jesus is, is what's held most high, is what's held most aloft, is what's of greatest value, is what's of most importance and most guarded and protected. That Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. Right? So what being of the same mind isn't is not being a place where uh, there's sort of a hostility to new ideas, a complete doctrinal conformity, or a place in which you are just expected to mindlessly assent to everything that I happen to say. And I believe that, that even though that's not what being of one mind isn't, I believe that we can be of one mind. Like there, that there, there, there's a way to do that, right? And so what, what is being of the same mind? And I think that I think that really we, we see the beginning of that or the fruition of that in, uh, in verse 27 where it says this, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, right? So what being of the same mind is, is a commitment to a life worthy of the gospel, like that we're gonna strive for holiness together, like that we're gonna strive to be more like Jesus together, that we're going to strive to live a life that's worthy of the sacrifice that Jesus made, which, which is gonna be very clearly displayed for us here in the coming verses, right? What else does it look like? That, that we stand firm in one spirit, right? So we're, we are committed to some doctrinal conformity, right? That, that the gospel is gonna be held precious, guarded, Right? That we're not going to make room for Jesus and anything because it's Jesus plus nothing is, all, is everything. Like that's what we're committed to. What else is it that, that we might strive side by side for the faith of the gospel? Right? That we would be united in what we understand to be our chief identity, which is that we are in Christ, which is that we've been adopted as sons and daughters into the family of God himself. And like that, that is what, that is what characterizes each and every one of us. Like that if you've called upon the name of Christ for salvation, that the person that you sit sit next to, if they have that in common with you, they are brother, they are sister. And so when Paul, when Paul talks about being of one mind, like this is, this is what he's talking about. He's saying, look, in spite of all of these different things, We're going to choose to come together in the pursuit of holiness. We're going to choose to come together in light of the good news of the gospel. And we're going to be united by our identity in Jesus. Those are the, those are the things that we're committed to like as a people. And look, if you want to be a part of Sojourn, like that's what we're calling you to be a part of. A part of a journey to holiness, a part of a commitment to the gospel of Jesus and, and a commitment to unity in the face of difficulty a choice to always lean into the table rather than push away from it when things get hard. So what must we do, right? He says, he says to be of the same mind. What does that actually look like? Or, or how do we go about doing that, right? He's gonna lay it out very clearly for us in the next couple of verses. He says this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. 
let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Easy, right? Simple. Like, do nothing out of selfish ambition or out of conceit, but in all things consider others more significant than yourselves. Right? So that means that when you look in the mirror, you don't think significance, you think insignificant, which that's like, usually that's a pretty good insult. Like, I think that's one of my favorite ones. Um, to, anyway, I shouldn't, I guess, admit to that, but just call someone insignificant. Like, you have no significance. And yet, and yet this is what Paul is saying for us to do, like to look at ourselves and be like, I, I have no significance, no meaning. Now, let's, let's balance that with the fact that like he came on your behalf, right? That, that, that we are his inheritance, right? That you're his treasure, so it's okay. But this is, but this is how God is calling us to, to interact with one another, right? And look, just, we look at these words and they're, they're fairly harsh, right? Like selfish ambition. Like if I, if I were to characterize myself just briefly and, and like those wouldn't be words that would come up. Like, I wouldn't be like, oh, I'm selfish and very ambitious. And yet, like, here's the test. Here's the test of knowing whether or not you are selfishly ambitious or not. Share a pizza with someone. <laughs> I'm just saying. And you, you share it with two or three people, right? And you're like looking around and you're kind of doing like the math. You're like, they've, they've had two already, you know? And you're like just hoping you're going to get that last slot. You're like, I don't, I don't want it, you know? You totally do. You know, it's just like, you know, you're like cramming it in, trying to make sure you get that third and final piece, that odd number. Like, that's you. You're like, you're selfish and ambitious. And as silly as that sounds, like that's one instance. And yet the majority of our decisions throughout the day are made in, in that frame of mind, aren't they? Like as silly and goofy as that, as that sort of example is. Like the fact of the matter is that that I walk in that all the time. <laughs> There's so many times, even in the smallest, simplest decisions, whether it's eating pizza or, 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 or getting you know, to, the, to the smallest grocery line first. Like this is how I operate day in and day out. Right? Or, or conceit. Right? So do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, right? You want conceit? Like conceit is free Instagram feed. That's what that is. Like it's, a, it's that attempt to like through photo justify like your existence and, and just how cool and hip you are. You guys didn't like that one at all. <laughs> it's okay, I have an Instagram too. Like it's all right. But like, so this is, this is what Paul is, is calling us to do. Like this is what it's going to require for us to be of one mind. It's going to require us uh, to, to, to be sort of... Uh, <laughs> very understanding with one another, like to count others more significant than ourselves, right? So when it comes down to these things that, that usually divide us, right? Like when it comes down to maybe those, some of those doctrinal issues that aren't, that aren't sort of the, the crux of the gospel, but that we believe, you know, are implied through the gospel, like we can choose to let those divide us and create more strife than they already have, which is kind of shameful, or we can say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to come to this table and say, you know what, I, I do hold these things and yet we're brothers or we're sisters or we're brother and sister. And, and we're going we're gonna to love one another and we're going to follow 
Jesus together because we believe that that is more important than that. So we want to be of the same mind. We are of the same mind when we relinquish our selfish ambition, when we relinquish our conceit, when we count others more significant than ourselves, when we look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. Complete, like the complete antithesis of probably all of our lives to, to, to some degree. Like all of us have probably some corners where like Jesus has done some really good work in us and we, we really do begin to see how that plays itself out. And yet just know this, like if you've been around Sojourn for any measure of time, like, like to see this happen, to see this happen in, in your life and to see it happen in the lives around you, like this is something that, that for which time is a necessary ingredient. So look, you might think to yourself, like Sojourn is a year old, like why don't they have their act together yet? And it's just like, well, <laughs> because we're still struggling with all of these things. We're still struggling to live into what it is that God has called us to do and be. Right? So then what does he go on to say? He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So there's the hope, right? So you sort of have all of this weight in the sense that it's like, okay, so ever since verse 27, what has Paul been saying? Live a life worthy of the, man, uh, like of the gospel. Strive together side by side, standing firm in the faith. You've been granted suffering. Like that's, you should count that as a gift. And then he says, and you know what? On top of that, if you have any encouragement in Christ, if there's any joy in fellowship, if there's any unity in the spirit, then you know what you'll do? You'll set aside your selfish ambition. You'll set aside your conceit. You'll set aside your significance for another's. Like that's a lot of weight. I don't know about you, but I read that and I'm kind of like, man, like I got a long way to go. And yet, like Paul, Paul never leaves us sort of in that space, does he? Right, he never, he never leaves us in that gap. He takes us immediately in the next verse and he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And look, the Bible tells us all the time that, that, that in Jesus, we've received every spiritual blessing. Right? So we've not only received salvation, but we've received the strength for the work which he's prepared for us to do. Right? Like that, that where we think we, we, we lack and where we think we don't have, that, that God has actually provided for those things in Christ. And so look, you, you think about these things, you think about, uh, you think about affection, sympathy, being in full accord, being without or devoid of selfish ambition and conceit. And you think to yourself, How? I, don't, I can't even begin to picture that. What does it look to think like that way? Because I, I, don't, I don't have that in me. And yet Paul tells us, you have this mind in Christ Jesus. And he's gonna go on to show us exactly what that looks like in the life of Jesus. All right, but what's so, so wonderful about this is that all of this tension, all of this tension that builds up is relieved in that one sentence. Like that in, in, in all of that time where you sort of have an opportunity to let your mind go astray and start to think that maybe it really is all about just behaving well, Paul says, no, look, you've been given this mind in Christ Jesus too. You've been given your salvation, but you've also been given work to do and you've been given the strength to do it by the power of the Spirit. 
And then he's going to go on to say this. So this is, this is what it looks like to have this mind. This is the example that we have. This is the tangible, visible reality of God that we're, that we're going to see right now, right? Like the, the Bible tells us in Colossians that he, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, right? So, so although God is sort of, at, at least in most corners, described as if he even exists, that he's sort of intangible, imperceivable, uh, at best sort of, not really interested in what's happening down here. And yet, and yet what the Bible is going to do here is paint an entirely different picture. An entirely different picture. It's going, he's, going to, he's going to make that which is invisible, visible in Jesus. In Jesus, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And then it says this, right? So have this mind among yourselves, which is already yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So, so if you want to know what doing nothing from selfish ambition looks like, it's a pretty, pretty good clue. Right? Like think about the transaction that is taking place here just for a second, right? Like John 1 tells us that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then it tells us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and that that was Jesus, Right? Or Colossians would tell us that he is the firstborn of all creation, like that he, he pre-existed, like that he's, he, Jesus was already there. Like, it's not like God was like, okay, I'm just going to choose to have a son, but that like Jesus was there at the beginning, from the beginning, the alpha and the omega, right? And it says that, that Jesus had equality with God. So it's not, a lot of times we think about God, you know, God, Jesus sort of here, and then Holy Spirit's way over here somewhere, and we try to ignore him because he's kind of weird. He's the strange cousin at Thanksgiving, right? And yet, and yet the Bible paints a completely different picture that, that sort of God, and I can't get into the Trinity here, so just like, if you have questions, we'll talk later, but, but that God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit all existed, right? That's Genesis 1, let us make man in our own image, that those are the that's people having the conversation there, right? But that Jesus is actually equal with God, right? So he reigns in glory. And now look, if we've ever read any kind of literature about heaven, which you can, it's in the Bible, like Isaiah is typically one of the, the favorite passages of that where we kind of get a picture of what heaven might look like. Revelation is probably another good place too. We don't know a whole lot, but we do know that it's filled with splendor and glory. We do know that God is daily, hourly, minute by minute, receiving worship at the throne, right? That, that there is a throne, so that's kind of cool too, right? And, we, and what we find out here is that, that Jesus enjoys that right alongside God, like that he's equal with God, that he's encompassed really in the word God. And what, does it, and what does it say that he's willing to do with this equality? It says he didn't consider it something to be grasped, to be held on to. Now, just for a second, just so that we can prove, you know, that this really is the antithesis, it's completely antithetical to, to all that we are, right? Think to yourself if you were in that position. Like, you're hanging out, you've got everything you could ever possibly want, perfect fellowship, perfect community, worship, like everything that is sort of do you, and you're just kind of, I don't even know what that looks like, right? But, but that's you, and then God the Father's like, hey, you need to go down there and figure this whole thing out. 
and Jesus or you, you know, you just want to pretend for a minute, like you're up there, you're like, I don't want to go down there. Like, that's all kinds of, can I take some of these guys with me? You know, I, I like, I can't even begin to comprehend what it would be like to have everything and then be like, oh yeah, sure, I'll give that up. Because I know all too well that even when I get just little things that I like and want, I'm very reticent to like, to, to just let it go. You know what I mean? I have to be like, oh yeah, like I really, I really enjoy this. Here, why don't you take it and I'll never see it again? You know, kind of thing. Like, I've, I don't know that I've ever done that. And yet Jesus is going to take that which is most chiefly valuable, that which identifies, characterizes him. And not just that, but it's that which he is worthy of. And he's going to say, you know what? I don't need to, I don't need to grasp onto that. I don't need to hold onto that. I mean, think about how much of your life is holding on to, grasping onto things. And how many times is it that those things are, are things that will disappear, if not shortly, certainly at the end of your life? And yet Jesus is going to take that which he deserves, that which he is worthy of, and say, I don't count it as a thing to be grasped. And then it says this, in verse 7, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So not only is he going to sort of vacate the presence of heaven, not only is he going to take his equality with God and say, I don't need to hold on to that. But he's going to come among men and he's not going to build a similar throne. He's not going to reign and rule over a similar kingdom. He's going to come in the form of a servant. Now look, I don't know about you, but when I was in kindergarten and it was like, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? I never wrote down servant. It was never like I would like to be sub, you know, subject to other people's authority. That would be wonderful. <laughs> never did that. And yet Jesus is not only, again, he's not only going to, to not grasp onto his equality with God, but he's going to come and he's going to humble himself to, to be a servant, to be born in the likeness of men. Right? Jesus takes on the form really of that which we most disdain. And he becomes that which is worthy of most honor. And what does it go on to say? Verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so do you guys see what's happening here? Like it's a it's a it's a it's a shockingly steep devolution, isn't it? Like that's what's happening. So Jesus is, is equal with God, at the throne with God, receiving worship, receiving praise, receiving all that is due him. And he's going to say, that's okay. And then he's going to say, oh, you know what? But when I do come to humanity, I'm not coming at the top rung. I'm going to go to the bottom. I'm going to be a servant. And then you know what? Even though I have every power over life and over death, even though everything exists because I hold it in order right now, like that's what, that's what Colossians 1 tells us, right? That the universe right now exists because he says it does. And he's going to say, you know what though? I'll die. I'll, I'll die. Like I'll experience death. Not just that, though. I'm not just going to experience death. I'm going to experience the most horrific of deaths. I'm going to be robbed of my dignity. 
I'm going to be destroyed, beaten, marred beyond, like, like they wouldn't have even known it was Jesus unless, you know, he was so marred that, I mean, they literally had to like put a sign up. This is him. This is the one. You wouldn't know him anymore, but this is the one. Right? And so, so this is what, this is what being of one mind entails. This is what us striving to be the people who are following Jesus together means. So it's not just like, oh, I'm going to give you the last slice of pizza. But it's like, I'm going to lay down my life for you. I'm going to, I'm going to set my, I'm going to myself become insignificant in order that we together might be significant, right? Like Jesus did all of these things, again, for the sake of, of his name and fame. And he's, and he's chosen to draw us into that. Unbelievable. So the life, the life of following Jesus is, is so is so much more uh, complicated and simple than many of us like to, would like for it to be. Complicated in that you are daily going to battle against your desire for selfish ambition. And that you'll battle daily with conceit and that you'll battle daily with counting your significance, with trying to build your own worth, with trying to justify your existence, right? And yet, simple in that Following Jesus is much less about knowing every creed and doctrine and this and that and the other and expressing them all perfectly. And it's much more about what does it look like for me to love and serve my neighbor tangibly? What does it look like for me to become insignificant for another's significance? What does it look like for me to humble myself and to serve others? That's... That's really what following Jesus is. Like that this, is this is how God has chosen to express himself to his people. Like do you get that? God of the universe, king of the universe says, this is the image of the invisible God. He's, he's a homeless Jewish carpenter who goes to his brutal death for a crime he didn't commit. Says, this is the image of the invisible God. And look, this is the Jesus who, if you've called upon his name for salvation and, it, and it's more than just sort of, you know, I got, I got energized at youth camp, but it's like, I really wanna, I want to follow Jesus. Like, then this is what it means to follow Jesus. And I, look, I'm not, God did a lot of good things at youth camp, so I'm not hating on that. But I'm just saying, like, it goes beyond. It goes so much further beyond. Like, can you see how this is a, a lifelong endeavor? And look, right, so again, we've, we've, we've got this sort of incredible weight that, that has been placed on us, right? And we, we got a little bit of relief from that verse five where it says, look, this, this, is a, this is yours in Christ Jesus, right? Like you have fellowship in the spirit. You have the power of the spirit that's gonna empower you to do these things. And yet, I don't know about you, but for me, I still read this and I go, I don't even, I, I got nothing. I've got nothing. 
And yet this is, this is what's so cool, I think, is that uh, th- this next verse, I'm, I'm going to read the next two verses, really. Um, I'm going to pair it with a verse from Ephesians, but it says this, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So look, we are called to be of the same mind, right? And that is, that is by, through, and for Jesus, especially and specifically for our salvation. This mind is ours in Christ Jesus, and it's tangible, observable in the emptying of Jesus on our behalf. And this is what we're called to do, right? This is what, just like verse 29 says, like it's been granted to us that for the sake of Christ, we should not only believe, but suffer with him. Like that it's been granted to us that, that we would gradually get less and less significant as our Christian journey progresses, contrary to popular belief. It's been granted to us. But in all the in all the difficulty and the discomfort that belong to Jesus in his incarnation and that belongs to us in our following Jesus, we have also been granted this to share in, right? So we share in Christ's sufferings in order that we might share in this, that God would highly exalt and bestow on him the name above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Like that that, that victory that Jesus experiences after descending to the depths of, of everything banal and futile, that that victory we experience too in Christ. Right, Ephesians chapter two, verse six says this. It's, it's really astounding. It says this, even, I'm gonna start in verse five. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The Bible also goes on to tell us that we are co-heirs with Christ. Like that the good favor with God that Jesus earned by giving all of himself has been extended to us. Like that that's been given to you and me and that because of that, we will experience ultimate victory. That in that moment when, when every tongue confesses and every knee bows like that you want to talk about being on the right side of history that's it's the right side of history it's the only victorious side of history it's the only thing that doesn't disappear at the end of all things so look as weighty as this call to follow christ is as much as it's going to cost you of what you think you deserve, of what you think is owed you, as much as it's going to cost you in that, you will receive so much more in knowing Christ and him crucified. And I'm really fighting against jumping into the next couple of weeks sermons because it just goes on to illustrate that for us perfectly. But what this all comes down to, brothers and sisters, is that we can forfeit here knowing that we gain all in the presence of God. Not just all that we want, but all that we need. And so if I could choose a a legacy or a way forward 
for sojourn, right? Like but both, both looking back at, at what's been done in the year and that, that we've been alive and looking forward to, Lord willing, the many more that we will be around. My hope is that we would be of the same mind in Christ who emptied himself. That that's it. That we would be of the same mind in Christ who emptied himself. That sojourn would be known as a place in which people come together, are of the same mind, and in Christ empty themselves for the sake of another. If that sounds like something you want to be a part of, I would urge you to join with us because this neighborhood needs the gospel. It needs Jesus. And this ministry of reconciliation that he came to initiate has been passed on to us by his grace and with his strength. Let's pray.